This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Sarah Medeiros. Welcome back to EM Pulse. I hope you are all surviving cold and flu season. Now, February 3rd was National Women Physicians Day, so it's only fitting that we talk with an amazing woman physician today, Dr. Allison McGregor. This month's Heartbeat is all about heart disease in women and how our diagnostic tools and treatments are flawed. We'll be diving deeper into sex and gender differences in health in a future episode, so this is a bit of a teaser. We were really privileged to have Allison speak at UC Davis recently. Dr. McGregor is an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at Brown. She's the Director for the Division of Sex and Gender EM there, and she's the author of the upcoming book called Sex Matters, How Male-Centric Medicine Endangers Women's Health and What We Can Do About It. As you may know, heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States, so I asked her to talk with us about some of the differences in heart disease in women. So their differences with heart disease relate to the physiology of how we develop coronary artery disease. When we are evaluating someone that comes in with a potentially cardiac complaint, we're weighing risk factors. So um, for instance, a female with diabetes is two times more likely to have coronary artery disease than a man with diabetes. The same thing with smoking, um, whereas hypertension has a higher burden in men than women. There are sex-specific risk factors for women um, if they have early menopause, if they've had pregnancy-related complications like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. Those have been found to be important risk factors for female pattern diseases. Now, when you think about the pathophysiology, we have assumed that focal obstructive disease, a plaque causing a downstream obstruction with an area of infarction, that is our definition of a myocardial infarction. That is the way that men have disease. And so what we're realizing now is that there's another way, which is microvascular disease. And that's a disease of the smaller arteries, the arterioles. They can vasospasm. They have endothelial dysfunction. And the way that women line their plaque is not all in one specific focal area. It's diffuse disease throughout. So if we think about it in, in the way of how men in general distribute body fat, men more, most likely have visceral body fat in the center of their, um, their body. And women tend to have diffuse uh, body distribution of their fat. Um, and so think about that as also in the level of the coronary arteries. There is this concept of MINOCA, which is an MI with non-obstructive coronary artery disease. So there's a whole concept of having myocardial infarction without having an obstructive component that we can open up and fix. Now, the reason why we've had such a focus on that particular way of having an MI is that, you know, up to 80 to 90% of men have that type of disease. So between 4 and 10% of men have microvascular disease. So it's been considered a small component of our understanding of heart disease. So we focus on focal components. But then when you look at the percentage of women who have microvascular disease, now that's anywhere up to 60%. So realizing when we start studying women, this is not a small component. This has a major impact. And so just, you know, from the fat distribution to the way that endothelial dysfunction occurs, women are more likely to have autoimmune dysfunctions. And so all of that reactivity 
of those blood vessels are occurring around the heart as well. And so we have to get better at finding out what diagnostic tests that we can use to diagnose microvascular disease. And, uh, and I think that will help us understand and have better treatments for women. So what are some of the consequences of this different type of heart disease? So if we think about it, heart disease is the number one killer for both men and women. However, women are more likely to have higher mortality rates. They're less likely to undergo stress testing and cardiac catheterization. They are less likely to be on maximal medication therapy, less likely to be prescribed aspirin and Lipitor. They have higher MACE rates of outcomes. So when you look at why some of these um, can relate to the fact that we've focused on an anatomical diagnostic testing. So stress testing looks for focal regional wall abnormalities based on a clogged large artery um, and our cardiac catheterization. The development of interventional cardiology became so integral into an anatomic reason for um, an MI and an, an anatomical treatment um, that we've forgotten that there's this other physiologic mechanism of diffuse disease. And because we don't have that ability to send a testing for microvascular disease when you're routinely in the emergency department, you have two options. You get sent home and told that this is likely anxiety, this is your panic attack, this is not your heart, um, or you get funneled into the diagnostic algorithms of a male pattern focal disease, which, you know, if they do a cardiac catheterization and they squirt die, it's going to look like the, your arteries are open without giving information about the, the diffuse disease there. How does this affect the way women may present to my ED? How are their symptoms different? So women present with less sudden, absolute, you know, elephant sitting on your chest, chest pain. Because if you think about it, they're not having this sudden clot burden. They're having this longer diffuse disease process that takes weeks. Um, and so they'll have shorter breath. They'll have nausea. All of these presentations that, you know, as physicians, um, are tough to fit into an algorithm. We've been taught in medical school and in residency and by our seniors and by, you know, our, our seasoned, uh, trained physicians to look for patterns. And these patterns don't fit into any specific algorithm because we haven't fully understood what's going on physiologically. So oftentimes women will have the diagnosis of anxiety, even though they don't meet the DSM criteria for generalized anxiety disorder, but it just gets carried on and carried on because we don't have the right diagnosis. We don't understand a lot of these autoimmune conditions. Women are more likely to have chronic pain syndromes. Um, so we just call it a syndrome. You know, it's reflex sympathetic dystrophy. It's fibromyalgia. It's, it's this pass off of we don't really understand what is going on at the cellular and hormonal level. So it must not be serious. So are we working on better tests to identify heart disease in women? There are some people in the U.S. that are doing research on detecting microvascular disease. It's mostly in a research setting at this time. You have to do coronary artery reserve flow or um, provocative testing. When you're doing a coronary catheterization, if you go in there and you test the flow reserve of the 
of the artery, or you um, squirt acetylcholine and you try to stimulate what might happen with vasospasm, but it's not readily available. And so I don't want to discourage that it's not important just because we don't have the ability to, to diagnose this and order the test. Women need to know the public is concerned about why they are not getting diagnosed you know, why there's misdiagnosed all the time for women. This is how they feel. They feel there's a gender gap in in medicine and they're being left out. So I think it's important for physicians and healthcare providers to be able to verify women's concerns. We do not have the ability to detect other forms of coronary artery disease, but this doesn't mean this is not your heart. So let's have close follow-up. Let's try to modify your risk factors as much as possible. Um, just having that validation, I think, is, is a major first step towards improving the, the lives in, of women. As more and more research is coming to light, we're having mounting evidence of where sex-specific differences are important. For instance, in lots of uh, reference ranges for blood tests, for instance, sex-specific uh, reference ranges for biomarkers like troponin, uh, that's been a huge important realization that the previous cutoff was excluding many women who were having heart disease. Women have smaller hearts. They're going to have smaller amounts of this biomarker released when they're having an MI. And so, you know, I think the male model of health and disease is no longer applicable. But Allison also points out that there is more at play than just sex-specific tests. A lot of people are attributing the fact that women have a higher mortality when having cardiovascular disease to the fact that they don't present with crushing chest pain. And so, like I mentioned, if they don't fit into the algorithm, if there's a delay in diagnosis, and that's true even with men. If men present without crushing chest pain, um, there is a delay in diagnosis for them. There's one study that was published in AEM where they looked at cohorts of men and women with an acute MI. So let's forget about all of the nonspecific atypical presentations. They had crushing chest pain and a positive troponin. And that study discovered that women were 50% less likely to undergo a cardiac catheterization. They were less likely to have medication and they had the worst outcomes. So there's other factors at play in here, probably back to our own bias and being able to recognize that young women have heart disease and recognizing sex-specific risk factors. So there's a lot of awareness that needs to happen. So what are some things we can do to better recognize heart disease that may not present with the, quote, typical symptoms? What we can start to do right now is every time you see a patient, think about what their biological sex is and what their gender identity, um, because those are not always congruent. And then you can individualize your knowledge based on that. So if you have a, a transgendered woman come in with chest pain, you have to realize that her coronary arteries have XY in them. So they're more likely to have focal obstructive disease. Yet because she declares herself a female in society, She's more likely to delay seeking care. She'll want to talk to family and friends about disposition. So by understanding what the biological sex and gender identity right off the bat is, that will help you discover how to expect what their clinical manifestations of disease, what tests that you can order, what drug dosing and side effects. Um, And I think if you have this mental checklist, that will help the inherent biases that we have. 
I want to thank Dr. McGregor for enlightening us on this topic. If you found this interesting, stay tuned because we'll have more from Allison on an upcoming episode on sex and gender differences in health. You can also pre-order her book. I already did. You'll find a link in the show notes. Thank you all for listening. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us on social media at Impulse Podcast or on our website, ucdavisem.com. Thank you to our department here at UC Davis and to OM Audio Productions. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.